Welcome to Heavy Networking, the flagship podcast of the Packet Pushers Podcast Network, nerding out with you since 2010. And our topic today is one, it is one that upsets me greatly, if I'm honest, or at least it has been upsetting to me in the past. Today's episode, along with a couple of others we've released this year, have changed my irritated mind on this particular topic. Now, what topic is that? It is Artificial Intelligence Operations, or AI Ops. AIOps has been making the rounds in networking marketing departments for a few years now, and the big promise has been that AI is going to perform analytical thinking for us, and when things are going wrong, make life easier for engineers. And the reality has been somewhat different. We've gotten lots of statistical analysis tools branded as AI ops, not really AI, but simpler math models that can detect when certain metrics deviate too far from normal. Fancy threshold alerting was mostly all that was behind the curtain. No machine learning, no artificial intelligence. I am very happy to report that over the last year, we've seen AI ops applied to networking in a meaningful way. Tools have come to market that use machine learning and artificial intelligence to analyze vast amounts of telemetry, detect patterns in the noise, surface the root cause of problems, and even predict problems before they happen. And this has been a hard problem to solve. Network telemetry record formats, think broadly when I say telemetry here, I mean by that, SNMP and logs and NetFlow as well as streaming telemetry, they were mostly not built with ML in mind. And that means for ML to make use of networking data, the data has to be normalized with contextual metadata wrapped around it. And I suspect that is why it has taken a while for us to see AI ops tools that are truly helpful to network operations come to market. One company that has gone after the AI ops problem for network engineering is Selector, our sponsor today. We're talking with Nitin Kumar, co-founder and CTO, as well as engineer turned product manager, Kevin Camel. We're going to discuss what Selector is, how it works, and how Selector as an AI ops tool can make your life better as a network engineer. And I promise you that this time, the AI is real. Well, Kevin, let's start with you. Would you give us the Selector elevator pitch in, in a sentence or two? Could you tell us what Selector is? Selector is a platform to transform your operational data, the telemetry that you were just mentioning, into actionable insights. Uh, basically, establishing a sense for what's normal for your environment and then pointing you towards issues to help you quickly address them. Okay, so you said something key there. You said to transform data. Could you drill into that for just a minute? Sure. Part of what we do is basically collecting the data and then look very closely at that data and figure out, you know, what's really normal for your particular environment there. And in order to do that, we have some sophisticated machine learning that's in place that basically analyzes that telemetry and then surfaces up, hey, these are anomalies. These are abnormal conditions that are occurring within your telemetry. And then from there, sort of tying in and connecting the dots as to what may be more broadly happening within the environment. And to add to that, it's how we share the insights with our users is very novel in the sense that you don't have to stare at dashboards. Uh, you don't have to keep looking at one chart or the other. Imagine you get a Slack message which says that user X just pushed out a change which is likely to bring down BGP sessions in your site, Denver, and this is likely going to affect customers A, B, and C. This message comes on your Slack. It right away tells you uh, who's going to get affected, why this thing happened, and what are your possible courses of action going forward. So all of that is brought to you together in a very simple notification. That's how most of our users consume our insights. 
I think that's important because uh, we've had, you know, sort of anomaly detection for years and it would spit out a bunch of alerts just like we found an anomaly, but that was it. And it was sort of up to you to go then dig through a bunch of logs and stuff to try to connect the dots. It sounds like what you're saying is you're actually providing context to help me figure out what to do next. Uh, and context is definitely important because the information that we provide has to be actionable. It needs to tell you what to do next and who likely has mm-hmm. aff- gotten affected. It's almost like if you were to go to a doctor, the doctor tells you you need to exercise because your sugar levels are high. This data that the doctor got was a result of monitoring your blood pressure, sugar levels, a lot of analysis went behind the scenes for the doctor to give you that prognosis. That's what we do uh, effectively. So you're saying my network is overweight. (laughs) (laughs) I know there are many use cases for Selector. We're focusing in this conversation on network engineering and some networking challenges, but just to give people a taste of the other areas that Selector is is engaged in, could you uh, give us some use cases beyond uh, the network engineering stuff we're going to be focused on today? We see very diverse use cases that come in. Um, We've really been very fortunate that our customers have brought a, a number of diverse and challenging use cases to us. And that's really allowed us to exercise the platform and address a broad variety of unique things that otherwise we wouldn't have seen. But I mean, to directly answer the question there, I mean, service provider backbone use cases, data center, campus, corporate WAN, SD-WAN, Wi-Fi, we have accounts that are dealing with all of these problem spaces. And besides the actual use case, if you look at an infrastructure Networks are no longer just made up of routers and switches. There are way many components at play when you're delivering a service over a network. You'll have your uh, cloud VPCs. You've probably deployed certain um, uh, virtual constructs like transit gateways and um, firewalls over there in the cloud. Of course, you have your WAN through a service, uh, through a circuit provider. And then on your on-prem, besides your switches and routers, you have servers, load balancers. And so you have a variety of equipment performing different functions. There are different vendors at play here. Most likely, it's not just one vendor which is providing solutions. You have your multiple vendors. Each vendor comes with their own monitoring systems. So you've had to go look at what does your load balancer vendor provide? What does your AWS console say? You have to do all of that assimilation when you're uh, triaging outages. That's one variety. The other aspect is it's just not metrics. It's logs that you have to sift through. It's events, it alarms. So there is the the flat and the the nature of this data is the nature of this data is very different. Logs are sentences. Metrics are numbers. Alarms are. Um, JSON payloads. So you have to be able to merge all of these kinds of information into one common data pool so that you can analyze and, and derive insights. Normally, or I guess historically, I would say I would have built a network monitoring system that relied on uh, SNMP. Maybe it also ingests uh, NetFlow records. It's got a flow collector in there and uh, can parse some syslogs and, and, and so on. Does Selector replace that traditional NMS? Uh, Does it augment it? How does it fit? We're not really coming into an engagement uh, looking to replace the existing tooling that's in there. Really, the way that we look at this is that Selector sits on top of the existing ecosystem that you have. And what we're really looking to do is to collect all of that data uh, from the existing tools 
uh, do our magic and then surface those insights that we were talking about a little bit earlier. And this really allows us to show value very quickly. We are an earlier stage startup. So like one of the things that we want to do is make sure that we, you know, show what the platform can do very quickly without an extended POC. You know, the idea of ripping and replacing these solutions is just sort of a political type of activity anyway. Um, so yeah, we, we want to avoid that. So yeah, that, I think that that's sort of the way that I look at the sort of replace aspect of it. On the augmentation aspect, I mean, I really see us as augmenting the entire monitoring and observability ecosystem. It's not just that we're sort of, you know, augmenting one specific type of telemetry or offering one specific type of insight, it's that we're going to come in and we're going to collect this data from everything that you have. Like the more data, the better from our particular perspective. And then um, we're going to add like a whole new layer of insight and value to this, effectively breathing new life into this legacy monitoring ecosystem that you tend to find within large organizations. So we definitely go in saying we will sit on top and we analyze your existing sources. However, after a while when customers deploy us and they get more comfortable with us, they actually have asked us to replace some of their collection infrastructure. Because if you look at the existing SNMP collection infrastructure, it's really quite old and it hasn't seen any innovation in the last few years. And we have a company which was born recently. We've innovated in that space as well. And once our customers get comfortable with us, they start trusting us. They said, well, you're already doing uh, analysis over the top. Can you also take on the collection responsibilities so that uh, some of their legacy infrastructure is retired? I feel like I've, you know, sort of heard this approach many times in the past. I'm thinking in the security sector about you know, CM security information and event management where it's like, yeah, yeah, you've got a bunch of stuff. Send it all to us. We'll figure it out. We'll parse it out for you. But then there's also sort of like, oh, and it turns out you also need to learn a query language and how to effectively use uh, the system and all that. Is Am I getting myself into the same situation here or is something different going on? That's something we've thought a lot about that we don't want to introduce new user experiences because adoption becomes hard. As you said, introducing a new query language and having the users learn that uh, is is tough. So we do have a query language internally, but we don't expose that uh, to the users. Having a medium like Slack or Teams where all interaction is in English, which everybody is comfortable with, uh, has been a a strategy that has worked very well for us. Um, They understand how Slack looks like. It's not a new Uh, widget that they have to learn, Uh, same for teams. Uh, So that's where they start off. And once they get more familiar with our system and how it behaves, they do go deeper and look at our dashboards and explore the query language also. But the barrier to entry uh, is, is very little because the query language is effectively English, which everybody understands. Okay, so there's a natural language element that I can sort of dip my toe into the water of Selector with. Yes, yes. We call it uh, democratization of your uh, observability that it's no longer uh, uh, it's no longer resp- a responsibility of the experts. Anybody can have access to the insights the system is producing. Kevin, I want to follow up on a point that you were making. You when we were asking about replace versus augment, and you said you know, think of it as more sitting on top of you know, everything, all the observability tools you have. Uh, 
does that go beyond the networking tool set then? Like if I've got some kind of observability for what's going on in, I don't know, Kubernetes clusters or something like that, does Selector play there too? Oh yeah, 100%. So the focus on networking really comes from the background of the founders. Nitin and Kanan basically led routing and switching at Juniper. So, uh, and of course, many people within their network came to join the company after that. And that really gives us a very unique perspective, a strong background on the networking space. But the platform itself, it, it operates on telemetry, right? Like metrics, logs, events, you know, the metadata, configuration related data. And this is generally applicable to, I would say, the conventional infrastructure like servers to cloud, to Kubernetes, to applications. They all emit this type of data. Uh, you know, we've been collecting this data for years on that side. There's a whole entire practice uh, called SRE at this point that's sort of around, uh, you know, parsing this data and then trying to do something with it. And I think this generalized capability of our platform uh, is probably worth calling out. Out there in the market now, you see quite a bit of this uh, offering that's called like full stack observability. And I think, uh, you know, one of the really interesting things about that is that when you look under the covers, you know, these platforms don't actually look at the network. They, they call themselves full stack, but that's really a misnomer, right? Like, mm -hmm. They're ignoring the delivery of their application to the end user. Like I have had those conversations and like, but you left out pretty much all the infrastructure. Yeah, but we can assume that it works is usually the answer I get back. Yeah, it's wild. Either they will ignore the network entirely or there'll be some sort of like token functionality where some product manager was like, let's check a box that we can, you know, collect some basic network stuff. But I mean, it's not really full stack to me. I started using the term like true full stack observability really to represent this capability that, you know, we can come in and we can collect the telemetry from the network all the way up to the application and everything in between. And I, I think that that's a very sort of novel capability that we have here. Well, it, it is because it takes the role of, of APM, Application Performance Management, to a whole different level. When I've worked with APM platforms uh, over the years, you, you, there's a lot of intense work to actually build that thing. So it's got enough ability to understand the relations and the dependencies. You got to build most of that in. And what I'm gathering here is uh, Selector is going to put together a lot of those connections for me. And so things like this network segment is down and it's going to affect, you know, that example we gave earlier you're near the top of the show. These users, because this circuit is down and, and this change is the was made that is causing this problem. All of those inferences and connections uh, Selector is going to be making for me without me as an engineer having to build the platform from the ground up to understand all of the dependencies. Am I right in thinking that? Right. And if you look at it internally, the system has builds a graph, a, a graph with a lot of connections and edges and nodes. That's what the system understands. Now, if you are viewing this graph in the context of a network, then your dependencies are customers, routers, switches, all of that. Those are the labels that are associated with the nodes in the graph. But if you were if you were to deploy this into in a microservices Kubernetes environment, then the elements are your applications, the graphs are your connections. So the persona of the nodes and the edges changes depending on the uh, use case, but internally it is the massive graph database being built by ingesting and correlating all the data. So this is a data-driven solution. Uh, we're talking about logs, flows, alerts, and so on. Where does it all go? Is it going up to the cloud? Am I running selector instances locally? 
one of the sort of early learnings that we had was that if we wanted to go after the service provider space, that we were going to need to have an on-premises offering. That mm-hmm. That's just part and parcel to working with those particular folks. And that's okay. Uh, you know, that's one of the things that we did. We found it to be very, very important to sort of develop that on-premises model early. And it's not necessarily an easy thing to deliver on, right? Like it's difficult to maintain on-premises solutions, but we've figured out how to do that successfully. And that basically addresses that entire concern that service providers have about their telemetry leaving their organization. And I would say similarly on the large enterprise side, they're not super comfortable having that data leave their organization. There's a bunch of observability companies out there that really are SaaS-based platforms that are out there. And I'll I'll skip the names here, but I'm sure you can think of them. Uh And, uh, you know, they basically live in the cloud and they scale with the cloud, but they really had to go after the SMB and and sort of like the mid-market segment in order to capture market share. Um, On the large enterprise side, there's just a whole separate set of concerns there. Like people just don't want the operational state of their systems to potentially live within the cloud where maybe somebody can get hold of it type of a thing. But anyways, uh, we also run in the cloud too. And that, of course, is uh, you know much more convenient to us. But at the end of the day, it's really up to the customer. And from a tech perspective, we were lucky to be born in an era of Kubernetes. Like we did not have to make the choice, should we run Docker, should we run Docker Swarm or Mesosphere? Kubernetes was a choice the market had already decided for us, and we adopted that. And because of that, our internal application just runs on Kubernetes. And whether you deploy that Kubernetes on-prem, there are a bunch of operators who let you do that, or you deploy Kubernetes on the customer's private cloud or the customer's public cloud or selector's public cloud. The internal architecture of our applications doesn't change at all. So it hmm. that's the reason why we don't really care where the customer wants to run us because our developers think that they're running their application on Kubernetes that happens to be on-prem or in the cloud. So it has been a a great decision for us to uh, just be Kubernetes native from the get-go. Fair enough. That I, I like having all of those options. And it's it's interesting, as you put it, you know, Kubernetes, the solution was selected by the industry. So it was easy for us to go there. Yeah, it's funny how increasingly Kubernetes is just becoming the, the great equalizer for, for application deployment. If I have purchasing authority, I'm the one making the decision to buy Selector. Help me make the ROI justification. Sure. That's always a little bit tricky. But, uh, you know, end of the day, our goal is to drive towards less eyes on glass Uh, I would say less time spent investigating and less time triaging problems. Um, And how exactly we do that really depends on what your goal or your specific use case is. Like we were mentioning before, we we just have very diverse use cases that are out there. But, uh, you know, in some cases, customers will actually, uh, you know, show up with some very, very specific objectives. For example, we're working with a financial leader and they have a very, very granular understanding of their operational efficiency, uh, I would say, um, beyond the norm. And they know the exact number of alerts that they receive per month. They know what the false positive rate of those alerts are. They know the total time spent responding to the average alert. And they also know what the value of that time is. And um, and the value of the time, it, that by itself is actually a sophisticated calculation. It, it's not just the hourly rate or the average hourly rate of employer teams. There's also an opportunity cost to having people respond to this stuff, distracting others. You don't want to lose track of that as well. But anyways, in terms of sort of the inputs or the levers that we were just talking about there, by reducing the initial false positive rate, which is something that Selector is extremely good at, we directly reduce that overall spend 
that the customer is dealing with uh, on effectively an ongoing basis. So when we enter a POC, that's really one of the things that we're going to you know, try to get out of a prospect right in the beginning is like, hey, what are the objectives here? And then try to figure out like, you know, how best do we go about measuring and quantifying the impact of the solution? We try to be very analytical about that. In any outage, which say runs for about six hours to 10 hours, and that amount of time of an outage is directly translating into revenue lost. And 90% of any outage is wasted in triage. Once you know what's wrong, fixing it is the simplest of the problem. So now 90% of your 12-hour outage is the time we go after. We, we reduce that 90% to 1% or something like that, right? So that's where the ROI comes from. So case in point where I could have seen and had selected been around on uh, some of the Tiger teams I've been a part of, it would have saved us all a lot of time. I get thrown into a mix of troubleshooting a complex problem relating to performance, let's say. And there was one issue where it, we were looking at uh, an inbound gateway, the XML gateway, a reverse proxy, a load balancer, various pool members with their health checks, uh, the networking that supported all of that. And finding nothing, you know, come to find out there had been an upgrade done on one of the servers on the back end that uh, affected the ciphers that were allowed. And so a lot of uh, customers couldn't process because they didn't support the more restrictive you know, cipher. That's something that could have been serviced in a log very easily, but it took us hours and hours of grinding and testing and checking things to finally get there as opposed to selector had been there absorbing all the logs from all those systems that's something that could have been surfaced much more quickly i can i can see it have happened in my mind's eye instead of those painful hours listening to the incident commander getting mad at all of us imagine a war room where stuff is happening the war room is made up of people who are experts in, in each of these individual silos they have their own laptops open and they're all communicating with each other and trying to say, do you see it over there do you see this over there and that's what converges to okay you find the root cause that war room has been effectively replaced by that knowledge graph sitting inside our stack. Instead of monitors being connected by people, there is this graph that the system has built and it surfaces right away that this particular edge is faulty. Go look at this particular vendor or this particular action and there, your triage is done. So let's you know really dig into how this works. Uh, and one of the things I want to start with is collection because we're talking about you know data being the lifeblood of the solution here. So are you drawing from existing repositories I have? Are you drawing from directly from devices? What? How am I getting information into your system? Is this a push? Is it a pull? How does it all work? Right. So collection is the hardest problem to solve because it requires a lot of data engineering and moving large bits of data around from one place to the other. We connect up to devices and we connect into repositories and we terminate streams of data. We do all of that. In the beginning, when we engage with a customer, they most likely do not give us access to the devices directly because mm -hmm. devices have to be protected and they already have their certifications and policies in place. So they say, no, you can't connect to a device, but we've already collected data in these databases uh, you need to suck data from there. And, and we start there. As the POC progresses or the deployment progresses, they start giving us connections into their devices. Sometimes uh, they have uh, brokers in place like Kafka brokers, uh, where, which is used in, in their ecosystems to distribute data. So they make us a consumer of that broker and that's how data uh, flows into us. In all, to have a robust collection mechanism 
from a technology point of view, you have to solve three big problems. First, your collection infrastructure like has to be elastic. It's possible that initially you only are getting um, a few bits of data, and then as as the confidence grows, this becomes megabits and gigabits. So you need to be able to elastically scale out your compute uh, or your uh, storage resources. That's where Kubernetes comes in handy because it lets you do that naturally. The second aspect of collection is how do you do collection in a hybrid environment? What if the devices or the data repositories are on-prem and we are running in a cloud? How does the data go from on-prem into the cloud? You have to set up these data pipelines and have an architecture that lets you do this disaggregated collection of data. Those are the two important problems that one needs to solve in just building the pipes to collect the data. And finally, one, assuming your pipes are built, there is no universal data format, right? Everybody has their own format and uh, we've embraced that problem. We don't say that your data has to be in this format. We will take in data in whatever format you have. And we've built a compiler that is able to absorb any data, compile it and generate binaries that would produce normalized data on the other side, right? So that's a problem we've embraced and solved effectively by having this data compiler, which can take any data and then produces that data that our internal systems can use to build that knowledge graph. That sounds like hyperbole, Nitin. Like, I mean, it is a really big problem you just solved. There's like, yeah, we, we solved that. No problem. I mean, do you have to build new uh, compilers, new uh, you know, data analyzers that can normalize the data for you as you go? Or No, it does sound an exaggeration, but think of it. Uh, we've all grown up uh, writing Python or C programs, right? And there is no end to the creativity of developers when writing C programs. But there is only one GCC compiler out there. We all write programs in some syntax, and then GCC takes that and converts it into a standard x86 binary format that the machine executes. So compilers are not a new concept, but using compilers for this data problem was a novel idea that we embraced. And in this collection mechanism, is it all streaming? Is it polling? Is it a mix? How did, and do you have a preference? We have a preference for streaming. However, uh, it's not always the case. Uh, like for example, SNMP by large is still the most effective way of getting data from uh, networking devices. And SNMP is a pull mechanism. So we uh, we do pull uh, when uh, required, but uh, we, we can terminate streams as well. You've got a bunch of integrations, uh, across, at least lots of integrations with selected with other products. Is uh, some of the integrations tied to collection? Actually, the integrations are can be classified into three categories. The first category is around collection, which is just data sources. So we integrate with the uh, devices, SNMP, for example, uh, log stores. If people have log stores where they've stored their logs. Like Splunk, something like that? Splunk yeah. and Elasticsearch are the two most prevalent uh, log stores folks have. And then so th those are more data related. The second class of integrations is metadata, like, for example, CMDBs. Uh, which are very, very important to build insights because insights need to have context. And that context is trapped in CMDBs that customers have. 
So Netbox is a good example of a CMDB that folks are starting to deploy more and more. Mm -hmm. So this is not necessarily high volume data, but it is, you need to be able to understand that data model, have the right compiler built, have the right compiled object built in to absorb their CMDB data. So that's the second class of integrations. And finally, integrations with workflow tools like ServiceNow and PagerDuty. Like mm. once you've constructed an insight, how do you share that insight with the customer teams? Because presumably a ticket needs to be opened and they need to do some work and they have a ITSM system in place, ServiceNow or PagerDuty, any incident management tool that they use. So that's the third kind of integration that the system provides. When you're building a profile of an organization uh, to get that baseline uh, to search for anomalies, is the kind of data inside ServiceNow useful to you in that regard? The data coming from ServiceNow gives us context about what they, what kind of tickets that they've opened in the past, how their teams have labeled the data. So that's how the ServiceNow data comes in handy mm -hmm. by looking at tickets from the past. So we've got collection. Uh, we're collecting lots of data from lots of different places. Uh, you've got lots of integrations that make that uh, easy for me out of the box to use Selector. I can aim it at tools that I probably have on house already and collect data that way. And then the next step here is, uh, is correlation. Can you explain that and talk us through it? So the correlation problem is how do you take in all your data streams and produce the knowledge graph I previously talked about? Right, that's the step of correlation. Fundamentally, the data streams that come to you can be put in two categories. There are numbers. Metrics are lots and lots of numbers coming to you. And then there are uh, logs, which are sentences. Right? How do you take English words and, and produce something in common so that you can start correlating? So that's the problem to be solved over there. And we, we spend a lot, that's where a, a lot of the machine learning is, is used, that how do you convert metrics and baseline them and convert them into, this is a good thing or this is a bad thing, the reds, greens, and the yellows. So you convert the metric into an event. And then the logs also, you convert the sentences into events that yes, the log line had 35 words in it, but this log line really is a BGP down event that came from a certain entity, right? So once you've not, and how do you do that? You use a lot of text processing um, uh, tech to convert sentences into events. You do things like named entity recognition, you do clustering of, uh, of words together. So once you've brought metrics and logs into a common currency of events, then you can start correlating all of these events. You can start bunching events into groups and inferring that events one, two, and five are related, events seven and eight are related. So that's where the correlation algorithms come into play. And those are used to build the knowledge graph, which is really the insight that you're going to go after. And this is the real machine learning that's happening here, as opposed to taking a, a category and just throwing some simple statistical analysis after it. You're actually taking data, uh, again, normalizing it for your ingestion and then then applying machining learning to it to figure out these correlations and build the graph again without me as an engineer having to prompt the system as to what those correlations are that's right that's right so for example the the log lines right the log lines are imagine log lines are sentences coming into your system continuously the system learns 
that these sentences look similar and these sentences actually are signifying this event, right? So you might get a million log lines, but they only boil down to a few events, right? Because they're million log lines because they came from one part of infrastructure, so your labels are different. So this is where the learning helps that it's continuously observing all these sentences and then learns that this sentence actually is this event. This is where the learning comes from. Now you've mentioned labels multiple times. Are these labels that you're pulling in as metadata from the system from which you're pulling, or are you adding your own labels? It's a combination. So again, there are three ways in which uh, labels or context get added to events. So first, the raw event will come with some labels automatically, right? That, that this device and this interface produce this metric. So the labels that are coming in. Then we've integrated with Metastores and then they bring in additional labels like what is the customer, what is the circuit ID, what is the tech who, ref all of that stuff, which are very relevant to the customer context. And then we introduce new labels ourselves also, like named entity recognition. We look at a sentence and we discover, oh, this label actually has an entity referenced in it. It, it references a site called Denver, and Denver is a special tag, and you add that to the label, right? So we get labels from outside. We fuse with metadata to add more labels, and we infer labels from the content of the logline itself uh, and, and, and produce more labels. Okay, so we've done collection and correlation. Before we get to collaboration, did it take a lot of compute to do this? Like, do I need some massive rack full of GPUs to pull this off? Uh, no, no. Uh, so so first, it's, it's not massive compute, but it's also not very little compute, somewhere in the middle. And again, going back to our Kubernetes architecture, we are able to get more compute as and when needed. Right? So if you suddenly get a burst of messages, the compute will elastically expand and be able to absorb the stream of data coming in. And if there are no log lines coming in, the, the, the compute can be given away. We've been very careful of not going to the public cloud to deploy GPUs just yet, because that means exporting data from customer premises over to public cloud. And that is not acceptable to most of our customers. A case in point, a lot of folks are using chat GPT for doing things. And that is a no-no for us today because it means sharing our customers' data to the public cloud. And that's something that we don't want. We are trying to avoid using GPUs in public cloud as of now. But when dealing with a network event or something within the IT stack, some kind of an event, time can be of the essence. Something's happened, you want to uh, ingest that data and find the correlations and then percolate that up as quickly as possible. So how long are we taking to do data analysis here? So the correlations are always happening in the background, right? So it is a system that runs in the background. It, it does a sweep of, uh, it lo looks at a sweep of five to 10 minutes in the past and, and, and finds a correlation and then keeps moving. So it's doing a continuous sweep of events. And this interval is tunable, although you don't you don't want to keep it very short because then you start dealing with false positives as well. So that it's usually between one to five minutes that the correlations are discovered and shared. Okay, so then we've got collection, we talked about correlation, and then uh, collaboration is the last uh, big pillar of how your system works. Talk us through that. 
Right. So I personally feel that the collaboration layer is the most important uh, when it comes to solutions like this. And that's where a lot of folks focus the least. Uh, you have to be very uh, careful about how do you share insights with the users. It has to be done in a very simple way. And that's where our integration with Slack, Microsoft Teams is, is very important because we share the insight in plain English. So this is the reverse of uh, using English to query. Not only we use English to query the system, we also use English to share the insights back to the user so that the user is not having to go through a JSON or a bunch of uh, cryptic labels to figure out what needs to be done. In simple English, the user is told that this user made a pushed out a configuration change, which possibly affects all of your these customers. So it's, it's laid out in pure English. And again, there is technology at play over here. We use natural language generation frameworks to be able to take internal JSON data and produce English out of it. So you've mentioned natural language processing many times and that I can ask selector questions in plain English. Where do I do that? Is that in Slack or is there a UI that selector provides I should be using? So uh, you can do it at both places. Most of the times folks, when they're asking questions, they stay on their phones on, on their Slack app. So like you're driving, you stopped at a traffic signal and you have this feeling that something is going wrong. I've done that a lot. You just quickly type something on Slack and the message pops up. And then once you are home at a convenient place in, at your desktop, then you go drill down and go to your dashboard and you can repeat the whole thing. But most folks who use English will always do it from Slack or Teams, mostly from their mobile phones, not even from the desktops. You mentioned uh, connecting to ServiceNow. Is that also a collaboration platform where I can submit tickets or get insights into a problem that a ticket raised? Yes, absolutely. And that is a very important use case for a lot of our customers because ServiceNow is used by their tech techs to fix things. And if you do not put the right insights into the ServiceNow uh, tickets, the tech is lost. So then the time it takes to fix the issue or drive the workflow to fix the issue just elongates. So Selector, again, produces English into the ticket that is filed in ServiceNow, which uh, enables the tech to do their jobs uh, in a very streamlined fashion. This feels like the future, Nitin. I'm just <laughs> sitting here. It's like, this is what I wish we had 15 years ago. We used to fantasize about stuff like this. This is... Uh... To be fair, um, the the underlying machine learning algorithms hadn't crystallized 15 years ago. The, a lot of research yeah. that you and I have not been privy to has been done in, in grad schools and academia. And, and, and they've been um, a lot of failed attempts, I'm sure. Uh, and only recently, such algorithms have crystallized and stabilized for practitioners like us to deploy them and get useful insights out of them. Well, there, there were systems that, they're expert systems, right? Yeah, you know, you, yeah. you, you build a bunch of knowledge into the thing, teach it questions and answers, and you could kind of get a pseudo intelligent vibe out of it, but they were, they were limited. They knew what they knew. They weren't learning anything as such. They were just whatever intelligence you coded into them was what you could get back out of the system. So they were good as far as they went, but really limited and not able to grow much. Uh, but that was what we had uh, at best if we spent the money on them. This is just, this This is the next level. And, and I guess it's as you said, as evidenced by uh, uh, LLMs and all the work we've seen there, I think we're seeing some similar benefits now coming into, into AI operations. 
yes the rules these rules also is impossible to write these rules now because your infrastructure is becoming more and more complicated like yep. 10, 15 years ago you didn't have to deal with hybrid cloud you probably had a data center and you still could fit those rules in your head and in some file however now you, it's not the private data center you have cloud and again you have multi cloud you have separate rules for that the complexity has also exploded and its rule writing is almost not possible uh, now mm. Mm. i'm curious uh, and maybe this is a roadmap item but so it sounds like selector ai works one way where somebody made this change or this thing happened and now this problem has arisen from it can i do the opposite i'm thinking about making this change hey selector ai what would happen if i did it yeah so one of our customers have invested in this use case called the digital twin and mm-hmm. like they're using selector ai to build a digital twin of their network and a very important use case there is if i were to cost out a particular link or i were to bring down a given router how are my prefix advertisements going to look uh, so they are trying to predict what's going to happen on a rainy day or like is is my redundancy set up properly so that when this thing goes down is things are things going to get routed properly so they use a lot of those uh, uh workflows and th- and the same knowledge graph is at play so think you have yeah. the knowledge graph so imagine you just removing a few edges and nodes from the graph and seeing what the behavior is going to look like so the same technology is used to predict kind of the future as well so guys we spend a lot of time on selector what it is how it works a bunch of use cases do i just buy selector off the shelf start aiming data at it and magic happens or is there is there more to it when i buy the product there is so basically the platform's only one part of what we deliver the other aspect is really our our services model what we're going to do is basically come in and work with your team very very closely and understand your specific use case what the outcomes are that you need for your specific organization it's very different than sort of like a saas type model where it's a one size fits all and you have to live with the constraints that are there what we're looking to do is basically build out a tailored solution that's just for you and that's built on top of the platform and what that really allows is these custom outcomes that are unique to your particular business to be delivered so case in point then we try to map what you just said onto what i a uh, scenario here i worked for a fintech for a number of years we were payment card services and we had a bunch of really odd systems they were they were proprietary and strange and relied heavily on the network there are multiple data centers we had payment gateways uh, scattered around the different continents where we are offering services so selector could come in as a platform and then you'd work with us for like we had several internal applications that were very important to us and we needed to know if there was any performance degradation uh drop transactions anything like that you would help us put all of the data collection and triggers in place so that we could get insights quickly when things were going wrong so that's exactly right and i would say that once we had succeeded with that particular use case the team continues to engage with your team we don't just deliver that one particular thing and that's the end uh and we go off and move on to somebody else you basically have solution engineers that are tied to your account throughout the the term of the engagement. And what that means is that as you have new data sources that are coming in, as you make decisions to deploy new tools or potentially remove tools, we're constantly updating the solution to keep things working. But it's beyond that as well. Um I think what has happened pretty much across every single one of the customers is that once people see 
selector in action, their eyes sort of open and they start to say, well, wait a minute, if you were able to accomplish this particular thing, what about these other use cases, these pie in the sky type ideas that I never thought were possible to be addressed? Can you go do something with that? And that's really, I spoke a bit about this earlier in the conversation, but that's really where customers start to bring us these very interesting and challenging use cases. And we love to see that. We think we're the only one in the market who can deal with problems like those. Uh, any hint on uh, what's on the roadmap coming up? I know we touched on digital twins. Are there other things that you're working on? Sure. The big one, and we've actually got a video that's sort of um, floating around right now, is Selector Copilot. So uh, Selector Copilot, this is one of the more novel features we've been working through for about the last six months. Um, I think it's a game changer in terms of truly democratizing access to your operational data. It's not something that's easy to deliver on, but the idea here is to basically level up the conversational interaction model that we offer today. Um, so that chat ops model that Nitin was talking about earlier around you know, Slack and Teams and being able to come interrogate the system, that all works great today. But what we can do is basically integrate a native LLM directly into that. And mm -hmm. what that will allow it to do is become much more flexible in the way that you can come in and ask these questions. I think a big problem for observability systems as a whole, and this has been going on a, about a decade now, is these domain-specific languages, these query languages that we get forced to use every single time we go adopt a new platform. I mean, from a product perspective, I see this as huge. I mean, basically people can come in, we go through a POC, I don't need engineers to come in and like go learn, you know, 40, 50 new ways to come query and interrogate the system. Like they just ask their questions in native English the way that they would as if they were talking to one of their peers. So yeah, there's a concept video, it's available. Uh, it's on our website, it's also on LinkedIn. Kevin, I watched that concept video for Selector Copilot. Uh, was that a total fantasy or is that that you're hoping to get to someday or is there actually something there behind that video? No, 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 that's, that's the vision. That's what we're looking to do, the full scope that's available there. To just sort of briefly describe it for folks who haven't seen it, I mean, the idea here is that you come in, you've sort of been prompted by the system, you've received an alert, and uh, you know, this is the kind of thing that all of us you know, have had happen to us as practitioners on like a Friday. You know, I'm sitting there at the restaurant, I've got my phone in, the hand, in my hand, and I, I receive this alert, and I'm on call. What am I supposed to do right now? And, you know, I can pull my laptop out. You know, a lot of us do that as, you know, we carry our little bag with us and we go to the restaurants and like just in case, and, you know, our significant others get angry with us. But, you know, there's a new possibility that's sort of brought to the table here, especially with these new LLMs that are in the market, which is really that you can go back and forth and sort of triage an issue in partnership with uh, the conversational AI with Selector Copilot. And mm -hmm. by doing that, you can ask questions like, what's wrong? What's the impact of this to determine severity? You know, why is this happening? Um, you know, do we have a way to fix this? All of this is part of the vision to what we're looking towards. And it does seem that if you were sitting there in that restaurant, maybe you would be okay with sort of like attempting to remediate this remotely. You know, hey, maybe we have some registered remediations and the conversational AI basically tells you, you know, this happened last week. We fixed it with this. I might be comfortable at that particular moment to know like one of my peers had successfully solved this before. Why don't we try that before I have to pull the laptop out? Uh, it was interesting in the in the that demo that well the the concept video 
uh, to remediate it, I called on this Ansible playbook that was predefined, which immediately gave me this comfort level like, oh, okay, I probably wrote that playbook that it's calling upon. I know exactly what it does. And, you know, it felt good that it would uh, remediate in that way. It was also another impressive feature was just the context uh, of it. The being like, like any LLM, it's context aware in the conversation. So if you're talking about a particular BGP peer with a problem, you don't have to keep spelling it out, you know, statement by statement. It knows that's what you're talking about as you proceed through the troubleshooting conversation. You know, very powerful. And I'm looking forward to you guys getting there. Um, what else is on the roadmap, Kevin? So further development on that true full stack observability concept that I was describing earlier, you know, our capability to take telemetry from the network up through the application. Um, I, I find this to just be incredibly novel. I, I don't see anybody in the market approaching this in the way that we are today. And I think when done right, you can tie the user experience down through the entire stack and sort of pinpoint exactly where challenges or friction with the user experience is coming from. Yeah. I sent a whole marketing campaign here on how Selector AI saved my marriage. <laughs> well all that stuff sounds great kevin we're looking forward to that and uh and and, and thanks for being on the show today both you and nitin uh kevin if uh you want to direct people to somewhere to find out more where would that be best place would absolutely be to come visit our website uh, www.selector.ai you'll find a bunch of materials there about what we do and how we do it you'll also see logos people that we're working with today um, and there's ways for you to contact us from there in order to reach out and learn more. Selector AI, selector.ai slash uh, packet pushers. You're going to have a landing page there for the packet pushers audience, I believe. And uh, and I can recommend having spent a bunch of time preparing for the show by reading what they've got up there. There's plenty of good literature for you. Uh, we'll link to one I liked, uh, especially the Selector Analytics Architecture. It's a white paper that talks through uh, exactly how the processing is done of data and how results are found using machine learning and AI. That was fascinating. Plus, we'll link to the YouTube channel and LinkedIn and so on. Again, uh, selector.ai slash packet pushers. Uh, and, and again, uh, we thank you, Selector, for being a sponsor on today's episode of Heavy Networking. And if you out there are listening, you want to get serious about moving your network monitoring tool stack out of the SNMP past and into the artificial intelligence future, selectors should definitely be on your radar. If you ring them up to learn more, visit their booth at an event or hit their landing page. Let them know that you heard about them on Packet Pushers. A quick reminder that we've got lots of other resources for you at PacketPushers.net. That includes our 100% free community Slack group filled with your peers running networks, clouds, and data centers. It also includes newsletters, industry analysis articles, our community blogs written by engineers just like you, and several other podcasts, including Kubernetes Unpacked, IPv6 Buzz, Heavy Wireless, and more. It's all free and designed for your professional career development. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.